So the title of the message is Failure, the Backdoor to Success, which is a great title, but I didn't come up with it. <laughs> I actually stole it from uh, Dr. Lutzer, who is a pastor at Moody Church in Chicago, and I think it's just such a, it capsulizes failure so well. I think it's such an important, uh, uh, an important uh, title because it, it tells us a lot about failure. Um, failures, you know, I, this series began with me thinking about some of the things I lay awake at night that keep me awake sometimes and I dwell on too often. And one of them is failure. And oftentimes it goes back to my youth and it goes back to wishing that I had studied more, that I had been a better student, wishing that I had been a better friend. I told you a number of times over the years about a friend that I used to hang around with during homeroom, and I wasn't a very good friend to him. And he actually became one of the very first school shooters in 1975. Um, he uh, cordoned himself into the uh, student council room and began killing people from uh, the, the third floor of our high school. And he was one of the very first uh, school shooters. And he was a valedictorian of our, would have been valedictorian of our class. And I think back about what, what would, it, would his life had been different had he had, if I had made an effort to be his friend. Now, again, <laughs> I'm well aware that I was just a high school kid, a teenager, and not, not socially or emotionally at a good point where I was, you know, I could minister to. But you still go back, and, and I think if you're like me, you do the same thing. And here's what we tend to do. We tend to go back with the lessons we've already learned and the knowledge we have learned over the years, and we go back and say, my life would be different if, but you know what? You only had what you had when you were there. And you can't do that. You can't replay it with uh, all the years that you've had to reflect upon it and think about it and grow. And, you know, failure is just a part of life. And you just have to, we just have to come to a place where we say, failure is a part of life. And it's necessary for us to grow. And some failure is, is innocent. Some failure is just, it's kind of what we do because we're humans. And some failure is something we do, and it brings a whirlwind on our lives. Uh, you know, I mean, think about this. Even the best basketball players miss at least half of their shots. Um, and from the three-point line, NBA players, if they make one out of three, they're, to they're said to be good shooters from the three-point. Um, the best baseball players, they will get out two of three times at the plate they will get out. Those are the best. Those are the pros. So failure is something that just happens. So in your notes, I think I have listed two types of failure. I want to talk about the first one, and this is failure because you happen to be a human being. You just are a human being, and you're going to fail. Every human fails, period. Um, some, you know, sometimes we just learn life lessons, and Sometimes it's just a natural part of life that we just fail. A student may fail a test that they studied for. Um, a, a person may fail in a sense that they make a business investment and they lose their money. They've done the research. 
uh, the market changes and they lose and and they learn from that but you know they don't have the knowledge you know after the fact it's easy to say well if I had known that but you didn't know that and so you you sometimes lose some of us if not most of us have failed at a job and we've been fired or politely said hey you should look for a new job <laughs> um, this has happened probably to most of us Thomas Edison uh, commented on failure on one of his many failed experiments and he said don't call it failure call it an education because many times that's how we learn sometimes God even allows in your life and I believe it's part of his plan and, and this is going to sound absolutely crazy I don't have time to go into kind of pare it down but sometimes I think God allows us to fail it's built in that he expects us to fail sometimes. And it's okay to fail. Uh, I mean, think about this. There are times where you will learn more through a failure than you ever will through a success. Think about some of the greatest lessons you've learned in life, and I guarantee you most of the time it's because of a failure, not because of successes that you've had. So here's the point uh, that I want you to see, that God isn't so, so much interested in, in what we go through, in how, but as how we go through it. What I mean by that is, yes, he cares about us. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we often wonder, why am I going through this? What is the reason why I'm struggling right now? And God, from God's perspective, he's saying, that's really not the, the most important thing in my mind. I'm more concerned in how you're going through it. What are you learning? How are you growing? Are you looking to me? Are you trusting me? In other words, don't waste your time trying to figure out why God allowed it to happen. Spend your time learning and growing through it. All right, so that's, that's just failure because we're human beings and we all fail. And the sooner that we accept that and embrace that failure is a part of life, even when we do our due diligence, even when we studied, even when we, you know, we've done everything that we could, we still are going to fail. It's part of life. But the second kind of failure, and this is where I really want to focus in a little bit more, is sometimes we fail because we're sinners. And that's a little different. There's a moral component into that. I want to discuss failure due, due to our fallenness, due to our sinfulness. Uh, and John describes it very interesting. John describes the, the pull of the... Well, let me just read it to you. This is John chapter 2, uh, excuse me, 1 John chapter 2. And he says this in verses 15 and 16. He says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, uh, love for the, Father, the love for the Father is not in them. Now, notice he describes this. Listen to how he describes the things that, are, that pull us and push us and, and tempt us and all of those different things. He says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, that's sexual gratification, the lust of the eyes, that's covetousness, and the pride of life, that's egotism. You know, that you have a big ego. That comes not from the Father, but from the world. So John is saying there's some components, some things that are going around in our culture, in our society, that cause us to do things that are wrong. <laughs> and, and that kind of failure has a moral component to it. And think about this. And what I love about the Bible is it's full of failures. 
Let, let me just give you a few, all right? More than a few. Adam and Eve, you know, the first failure of the Bible. Genesis 3. Cain and Abel, Genesis 4. Noah and his sons, Genesis 9. Abraham and Sarah, Genesis 16. Lot and his daughters, Genesis 19. Jacob and Esau, Genesis 27. Joseph and his brothers, Genesis 37, through the end of the book of Genesis. Nadab and Abihu, Le Leviticus 10. Abraham and um, Miriam, Numbers 12. Israel and Canaan, Numbers 14. Moses and the Rock, Numbers 20. Samson and Deliah, Judges 16. Samuel and his sons, 1 Samuel 8. David and Bathsheba, 2 Samuel 11. Solomon and his Aram, 1 Kings 11. And that's just the Old Testament. That's a lot of failure, right? That's a lot of failure. And that's what I love about the Bible. The Bible shows people with all their warts, with all their insecurities, with all their failures, it shows us people as they really are. It's not a, a make-believe book. Because, you know, if man wrote that book, it would be, it would show every positive thing. It would never show a failure. It would show, but it doesn't. It doesn't. So what I want to do for the rest of our time together is I want to focus in on one New Testament character, and his failure is like right there, right in the middle of it. It's Peter. Peter's failure. Um, Luke chapter 22, you might want to turn there. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Uh, this is the failure of Peter, and it's re recorded in the Gospels. And there's, you know, the context of Luke 22 is Jesus has just had this communion meal, the Last Supper. And in the midst of his supper, he says something that just the disciples are like beside themselves, and Peter especially. And uh, let me just read this passage. This is uh, Luke 22, verse 31. He's, and now he's going to say Simon, Simon, and that's just another uh, name that, Peter, that Jesus used for Peter. And he says this in verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. And he's talking about the, 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 the disciples around the table. But I have prayed for you. Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, uh, strengthen your brothers. So this is Jesus saying to Peter, get, get understand what he's saying here. Peter, you are going to fail. You're going to come to, the, the, to a turning point and, and you're going to be, need to encourage your brothers because they are all going to fail me too. And he says this, but he replied, this is Peter, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. Three times. Peter says, he responds, even if, even if everyone around me in this table, even if everyone around me and everyone in the world falls away, on account of you, I never will. We know he did, though, right? I mean, jump down to verse 22, or excuse me, 54 of chapter 22. So the religious leaders, it says, then seizing him, Jesus, they led him away. And they took him into the house of the high priest. So Peter, he's following at a distance. And when some of them had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, 
they had sat down together. Peter sat down with them. Uh, a servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know, I, I don't know him, he said. So understand what's happening. So they're interrogating Jesus. The high priest is interrogating him, Jesus. And uh, he's in the, high, the, the residence of the high priest. And G Peter is in the courtyard warming himself by the fire. This servant girl or, or you know, somebody notices that Peter is, was one of the ones with Jesus. They had seen him around with Jesus. And, and here's the first denial. No, that's not it. Going on, it says, a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. That's number two. About an hour later, <clears throat> another asserted, certainly this fellow is with him for he's a Galilean. They could pick up his accent. They could see that he was certainly, uh, you know, tied to Jesus. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Now, if you, if you can write this reference down, in Matthew chapter 26, 74, verse 74, it says, not only did Jesus deny him the third time, but he called down curses on him. In other words, he started swearing. He started using profanity. He said, I don't have any idea who he, he is. I don't know him, and blankety-blank, and he just started calling down curses. So it wasn't just that he denied him. He vehemently denied it. Notice Luke goes on. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And this is one of those times it says, Luke says, and the Lord turned. They must have been leading Jesus out from the, from the interrogation. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord had, had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Can you imagine what it must have been like as Peter, his eyes met the Lord's eyes across the courtyard. And he had just called down curses that he did not know him. Can you imagine what that moment must have been like? I mean, what a powerful powerful moment of failure i don't know how you get over that well let's jump let's jump to to where jesus has been beaten and executed and crucified as a common criminal on a cross he was taken down before the sabbath placed in a rich man's tomb on the third day he arose and when we come to the gospel of john <clears throat> Peter and some of the other disciples are out in the boat and they're fishing. And one of them says, hey, I, I think I see a guy It looks like the Lord. And of course, Peter, <laughs> he impetuous, he just jumps overboard. He, he swims to shore. Sure enough, it is Jesus. And Jesus prepares a meal for them. And uh, if, if you jump down in, in John's gospel, um, just jump down to verse, uh, this is John 21, verse 15. It says this. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? 
Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He, he answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, just a couple quick comments on this. Uh, there's been, all oh, through the years, all this talk about the different Greek words for love. That's not the point, okay? The, the words, I don't think, are being changed to make a, a point, and I think too, too sharp of a distinction is made between the, the Greek words for love, phileo and agape. I don't think that's the point. The point is in the text. If you just read the text, it's very clear. It, it says that Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time. The point is that Peter denied him three times, and now Jesus is getting him to reaffirm three times. That's the point. It's not the Greek word. It really isn't for the Greek word for the sheep or the Greek word for the love. That's really not the point. The point that, that Peter, that took hold of Peter is that he didn't ask him once. He didn't ask him twice. He asked him three times. You deny me now? What are some lessons? This is where we're going to maybe more of the notes that uh, I gave you. And there's really four points. What are lessons that we can learn from the failure of Peter? This isn't just one of those, I'm failing because I'm human. This is a failure because I'm a sinner. And you know what? There's a different kind of failure there. And it's really important for us to think about that. Here's the first point. Don't assume that blank will never happen to you. You say, yes, Matt, I see the blank. What do I put in the blank? The answer is a lot of things. <laughs> Whatever sin you may be thinking about, you may look at somebody and say, they have a problem with this, but I'll never have that problem. They have a problem with this, but I'll... That's why the blank remains blank. There's no fill in here. It's just a blank. In other words, don't assume that whatever blank will never happen to you. And, and the phrase that we often should use is, except for the grace of God, there goes me. Uh, Proverbs 16, verses 18 and 19 says, This pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. Better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. The, the seven things that God hates, the Bible says in Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, uh, the, there's, it says that God hates seven things. Do you know what's first on the list? Haughty eyes. You say, well, what's haughty eyes? I mean, we don't walk around and say, boy, they really have haughty eyes, don't they? You know, what does that mean? It means being proud. God hates, he's got it number one on the list of things that, you know, it's not, he, they're not saying, yeah, you know, God, you know, there's a few things he really, he's not really cool with it. He doesn't like it. No, he says he hates them. And number one on the list is pride. Don't be so proud that you look and say, that will never happen to me, whatever the blank is. Don't do that. 
Don't be so foolish and so proud that you'll say, no, that would never happen to me. Number two, there's always lessons to be learned from our failure. There's always lessons to be learned. What can we learn from our own failure? Is there something, an underlying issue that's causing this? Because oftentimes when we fail, when we sin, there's something else going on. You say, what caused Peter to deny Jesus? Was it fear of death? I mean, he was ready to, to defend Jesus. He grabbed a sword in the garden. Did he swiped off the ear of uh, the, the, uh, the servant? He was ready to fight. He was ready to die. All of a sudden, this little girl comes up to him, and he's, he's denying Jesus. What's going on? What's under the surface? Now, in your, your life group notes, in the middle, and maybe you don't know this, we have life groups, and we do sermon-based life groups, and go a little deeper into the message. If you go to the, the um, would be on the right side of the page, uh, there's, a, there's a great question. I was just reading through this. And it says, what are the roots of your sin? What is it that you fear more than God? And, and there's a few suggestions. Fear of losing control. Fear of losing the approval of others. Fear of not having power or influence. Fear, fear of being uncomfortable. Because there's always something beneath the sin. Something that's driving the surface. And sometimes it's good to stop and say, what is, what is below the surface? Here's the other thing I want you to learn from the failure. And this is something that just kind of dawned in me as I was reading through this. Um, Jesus is being interrogated by powerful religious men. Peter is being interrogated outside by a powerless servant girl. <laughs> How is it that Jesus is just ready to be bold and not fail and Peter is just a mess. I think you have to go back to John 17 in the garden. And you remember what Jesus did? He went and he says, I need to go over here and I need to pray. I need the power of the Father to guide me and direct me and empower me in the next few hours. And he goes over and he prays. And he prays hard. And he prays fervently. And he prays with might and he opens himself up to God his father and he says I need I can't do this without you and he comes back and what does he find happening with Peter James and John they're asleep here's the point I think it sometimes shows sometimes that prayer is how we need to we need to spend our time praying to prepare for what's coming next in life. I don't think we often do that. And I think that's why we, we, we fail. And because we haven't prepared, sometimes we end up losing the battle before we, it even begins because we fail to pray. It is through prayer that God prepares us for the war that awaits us. Jesus was praying in the garden because he knew there was a battle raging around him. And I think sometimes we just fail because we fail to pray. When was the last time that you walked into a difficult conversation or a meeting or something and you just didn't take the time to say, God, I'm not ready for this. I can't handle this. I can't do this unless you are with me and 
empowering me, giving me strength. I think the reason Peter failed is because he fell asleep. I think the reason that Jesus didn't fail is because he was earnest and he prayed. He prayed his heart out. All right, number three. This is a little more light. <laughs> you don't always have to pay the stupid tax. Now, if you don't like the word stupid, put another word in it, okay? Now, what do I mean by that? So uh, we have a gathering every year. The Free Church has a gathering uh, for pastors. And there's a couple of, uh, there's usually a church out in the West Coast that hosts it, so the weather's nice. We go out there, and about 60 to 70 or 80 pastors get together, and we talk. And one of the things we do is we share stories of how we pay the stupid tax. This is what I mean by that. They got, somebody will say, I did this, and I wasn't, you know, and I learned this, and you don't have to go through what I went through to learn what I learned. You don't have to pay the stupid tax. And it's really instructive. They'll say stuff like, hey, if you were thinking of doing this, just know I tried it, and this is what I did, and this is what happened, so don't do it. <laughs> and you don't have to pay the stupid tax, right? It's as old as your mother says, don't touch that hot burner. Don't sit on that wet paint. Don't say that to that person. <laughs> you don't have to pay the stupid tax. And as I was thinking about that, I said, you know, really, when you think about it, the book of Proverbs is really telling you don't pay the stupid tax. Let me read you just a couple of verses. This is Proverbs 1. Listen to the words with this whole stupid tax in mind. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. In other words, the whole book of Proverbs, many of the Proverbs are written to say, warning, 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 watch out, watch out, watch out. You don't have to pay the stupid tax. You don't have to pay the stupid tax. Be smart. Learn from others' failures. How are you doing? How are you doing? I mean, are you, are, are you learning from the mistakes of others? Or are you just kind of, you know, sometimes we're, going back to pride, sometimes we're so proud, we say, well, I don't have anything I can learn from them. And we stumble into the same sin and say, well, whoops. It's like, no, not whoops. You were warned. Here's the fourth point. There are only a few ways to really fail. There's only a few ways to really fail morally. You only real, really fail when you deny your failure. If you, if you will not, you, you fail when you deny your failure, when you make excuses, when you blame shift, when you, take, uh, when you, you won't take inter, you know, ownership. But when you take your failure to heart, when you take ownership, when you don't try to blame someone else or your, your past or all your parents or whatever it is, when you repent of it and you say, it's on me, it's fully me, when you learn from it, you will grow. But, you, but if you're not willing to do that, if you'll never take responsibility 
you are going to fail. You are a failure in that area. Taking responsibility frees you from a defensive posture and allows you clear-headed vision that you need in determining what went wrong. Until you come to the place where you acknowledge your role in the failure, you're never going to be able to analyze it and learn from it and grow from it. Because you'll always be able to blame someone else for your failure. When you fail morally, the place to begin is with confession and repentance. Now, this is exactly what I think Jesus is doing with Peter. I think what, what, what Jesus is doing is he's saying, Peter, we're not done yet. We need to have a moment. We need to go back and, and talk about your denial because, yes, I forgive you, but where are you? What have you learned? And, and, and so that's why Peter or Jesus says to Peter, do you love me more than these? Now, the good news is every time that Jesus asked that question, he said, go take care of my sheep. Now, if Peter had just said, yeah, yeah, of course I do, Lord. I mean, sure, I mean, and he, there were, his heart wasn't in it, he wasn't broken up, and he hadn't learned anything, I think Jesus would have said, i got to find someone else. I mean, that was, a, that was a critical moment because what Jesus was doing is he was acknowledging the failure of Peter, but he was also affirming that, that he had a plan for Peter, that it wasn't over for Peter, that this wasn't the failure that was going to take him out of the game. John puts it this way. I love how John puts it in 1 John. First, write this passage down, 1 John verses 8, and, uh, 8 through 10. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we, do, we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So what are you going to do? So failure comes when you won't acknowledge your part. Secondly, you only really fail when you give up. Just because you failed, it's not over for you. There's still hope for you. As long as you, are, you, long as you have a pulse, as long as you have a breath, God isn't done with you. I think that's what Jesus was doing with Peter when he says, do you love me three times? Basically, what Jesus was saying is, you're not done yet. I'm not done with you yet. In fact, I would say, Peter... It's, it's amazing. It's amazing transformation because when you, Peter has this moment with Jesus and Jesus kind of reaffirms his ministry, you read about, you read uh, Acts, write this reference down and read this later on. Acts chapter 4, and you see Peter is out preaching the gospel. The religious leaders now bring him in and say, you know what, we'd like you to stop. And Peter basically says to them, you know what, uh, I understand that you want us to stop, but if it's a choice of be, whether we are going to obey God or men, we choose God. So we're not going to stop. And there's a new boldness with Peter. There's just a new, he's a different person. You're not a failure until you give up. You're not finished just because you fail. But you are finished if you give up and quit. Don't allow failure 
Don't let your failure make you a quitter. Learn from it. Grow from it. Don't focus on it. And that's the third part. You, you, you only real failure, you only real you only really fail when you allow the past to paralyze you. And this is where I began, right? Where I talked about as I look back in my, you know, through, through the years of my life, and I say, boy, I wish I had done that different. I wish I had done that different. But you know, again, you have to learn from those things, but you can't allow your past to paralyze you. I've met a lot of people who, who just, and Christians too, who basically say, I know I'm forgiven, but I can't get over my past. There's a point where you have to say, I've learned from it, but now it's time to move on. Sometimes we just need to deal with our failure, confess our sins, receive our forgiveness, learn from our failures, and just flat move on. Your failures don't need to define you, so stop letting them. It all depends on how we respond, right? If we curse our luck, if we blame others, if we fail to take responsibility, we're going to continue to fail. But if we face our failures, accept responsibility, humbly get back on the right path, we can lay a groundwork for the future success. Failure doesn't have to be something that, that we regret for the rest of our life. It could be something we say, I, I learned and I regret it, but I've moved on. Uh, another person we're going to look at in the life group this weekend is the Apostle Paul. Very interesting story because he started out as a persecutor of the church. He became one of the most, one of the greatest leaders of the church. In fact, much of the New Testament we have was written by Paul. Talk about a turnaround. I like what Paul writes in Philippians. He says this, brethren, this is a Philippians 3.13. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but the one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says, yes, I've absolutely failed miserably in the past, and I've learned from it, but it, my job is to learn from the past and to move in the future. To be the person that God wants me to be now and, and in the future. And he became a powerful leader for the early church. I want to close with a quote by uh, our pre one of our presidents, Theodore Roosevelt. He, most of you know he grew up weak and he was a sickly young boy, but he became the only president to be awarded the Cong Congressional Medal of Honor for his valor on the, the battlefield. And this is what he writes about failure. He says, the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust, sweat, and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there's no effort without error or sh and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do deeds, who spends himself in a worthy cause, uh, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory or defeat. I like that. Because essentially what he's saying is if you're going to try to do something great, expect to fail. So where are you at in the whole past and failure and all that and you lay awake at night and you 
you, you regret things terribly. Um, can we learn from Peter and say, yes, Peter was broken. I mean, remember when he denied Jesus, he went out and wept bitterly. The, the, the look across the courtyard must have still been in his mind. Uh, think about the Apostle Paul and how many people he had dragged into prison and how many died because of what he did. And, he, and now he, he didn't let it stop him from what he was doing. What is it in your life that you failed and yet you've allowed that to hold you down? You haven't received the forgiveness Maybe you, 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 you haven't taken responsibility for it. I think that's what this whole dialogue with Peter and Jesus is by the shore that day. But Jesus says the same thing to you that he said to Peter. Go take care of my lambs. You, you, you still have a mission. You still have a job. I forgive you. Now let's move on. Learn from it. Grow from it. But let's move on. Don't allow the devil, don't allow the enemy, don't allow yourself to keep you from being what I desired you, desired you to be. Failure is a part of life. Sometimes it just happens because we're human beings. Sometimes it happens because we're sinners. But we can always learn, we can always grow, we can always develop. And don't go back years and years and say, you know, if... If only I, I knew then what I know now. It, it, you can't do that. You can't redact your life. It doesn't work that way. But learn and grow and know that God has a plan and a purpose and he forgives you and there is hope. I mean, if there was hope for Peter, if there was hope for Paul, there's hope for all of us. Now let me talk about where we're going to go next weekend. Next weekend we're going to go back to the Gospel of Mark and that's going to take us through Easter. And the real the question that I want to just examine next weekend is this one. How is it that people get the Bible so wrong? <laughs> How is it they... I was reading a, a, uh, on Reddit uh, the last couple days, and I was amazed at how people get the Bible so wrong. We're going to talk about that next weekend. Let me pray with you. Father, um, thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement that we get and for the correction we get and for the, the hope that we get. Help us to learn. Help us not to pay the stupid tax. Help us to grow. Help us to take responsibility for our failure. Help us not to live in the past, but as Paul says, to strive to learn from the past and strive to reach out to what you have laid before us. Help us not to be paralyzed by our failure. And Father, I don't know where each person, whether they're in this audience or at one of our campuses or online, are right at this moment, but I'm sure there's something that is uh, coming up in their lives that they really need to deal with. I pray that they would take the appropriate steps, that your Holy Spirit would direct them and guide them and give them freedom, set them free from whatever is hindering them and holding them down. Father, help us to be better in the area of prayer because I think if we're honest, most of us would say we're not. Help us to prepare for the battle that is going on in our lives. Help us to be cognizant of 
the battle right before us as we walk into work, as we walk into school, as we walk into our families and our homes. Help us to be aware that there is a spiritual battle going on and help us to have the power that only you can give to see through it all and to be different because your spirit is guiding us and directing us and may the fruit of the spirit come out in our lives as we deal with those situations pray this all in jesus name